Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 18. We're continuing today with our sermon series through this amazing book of the Bible. We're coming to the end of this series, Revelation chapters 17, 18, and 19. Talk about the final manifestation of the spirit of Babylon, this final expression of human ingenuity. When civilization seems to have peaked in our abilities, in last week we covered chapter 17, and this theme continues today in chapter 18. In chapter 17, John sees a stunning woman sitting on a scarlet beast, and the angel tells him that this woman is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. It is a captivating image. She entices the nations. She seduces societies. The nations become intoxicated with the filth of her adulteries. She controls them through their addictions to extravagance, their addiction to sensuality, their addiction to power, their addiction to more. The last verse in chapter 17 tells us that the woman you saw is the, is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. This is the capital city of the Antichrist, a city like none other in the history of humanity. The very, the very peak of our civilization. Babylon was an actual empire and a historical city that fell to Persia in 539 BC. John is not talking about the ruins of an ancient city. He is talking about the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon that is the ultimate power behind every earthly empire. It was the spirit of Babylon behind the empire of Egypt. It was the spirit of Babylon behind the empire of Persia, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the spirit of Babylon that was ultimately the power behind the Roman empire. It's the spirit of Babylon that's behind every earthly empire. Babylon always appears invincible. Who could ever defeat Babylon at the time it seemed invincible. Who could ever defeat Assyria? Who could ever defeat Rome? The one common denominator in every world empire is that they think they're the exception to this rule, that every empire is ultimately temporary. The spirit of Babylon is at work today, setting the stage for the end of days, constructing the stage upon which the Antichrist will ultimately walk out on. Babylon always appears invincible, undefeatable, indestructible. The economic prosperity, the military dominance, the people place their faith in these things and worship these things and are controlled by these things. People in Babylon, people in spiritual Babylon, People in the eschatological Babylon will worship extravagance. They will bow their knee at the altar of sensuality. 
the economic prosperity, the military dominance, people place their faith in these things. People find their security in these things. People find their identity in these things. That is what an idol is. That is what an idol produces. An idol shapes our identity. An idol is the source of our security. And so in Babylon, this has always been the case, the spirit of Babylon behind these worldly empires, they seduce the populace to place their faith in human ingenuity for their salvation. An idol calls us to sacrifice. And whatever we sacrifice the most for is our functional deity. Revelation 18 and 19 describe a final manifestation of the spirit of Babylon, and it will be the most impressive yet. A monument to human ingenuity, the capital city of secular human, humanism, the counterfeit New Jerusalem. George Eldon Ladd says this, Babylon has seduced the nations into thinking that they can dispense with God that safety and security and prosperity will surely follow in the train of her luxury, self-indulgence, and wealth. However, he says, this is self-deception. As I thought about this passage, these chapters, this section of the book of Revelation that goes into great length in describing the unholy society that is produced by the spirit of Babylon. And this will be especially apparent during the end of days, in that final and greatest manifestation of the spirit of Babylon. And I thought about that and how different we should be, how susceptible, how susceptible we are to becoming citizens of Babylon, becoming enticed and enchanted and enthralled and seduced by the false promises of Babylon, where we begin to find our identity in things other than God. Kingdom people should live in tents, <laughs> metaphorical tents, spiritual tents. Tents are temporary accommodations. They aren't meant to be permanent dwelling places. We must not become enchanted by the siren's call of worldly wealth. Kingdom people use backpacks rather than storage containers because we are ultimately pilgrims traveling through this world. This is our temporary dwelling. This isn't our permanent home. Let's start living like it. Kingdom people live in tents and use backpacks. Jesus commanded his followers, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Kingdom people are called to have heavenly hearts. We are called by God out of this world system. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so for us, the problem is not being so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. No, the problem for the church in North America is that we are so earthly minded that we're of little heavenly good. The problem with us is that we have become citizens of Babylon, that we are convictional Christians, but citizens of Babylon. The Bible says, do not love the world or anything in the world, for the world and its desires are passing away. 
but the person who does the will of God will live forever. Too many kingdom people are building bigger barns to store our stuff. I'm convicted about this as we recently moved and we have so much stuff. It's a large house with a lot of square footage and yet we can't fit our stuff in our house. So it has overflowed into our garage. It's a two car garage. And yet we can't park our van in our garage because it's filled with our stuff. And it's so easy to justify. It's so subtle that some of us go through our lives not even realizing our compromise. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. What if Jesus was serious when he said that? What kind of impact could we have in our cities, in our countries, in our world, if we gave as much as we kept? What would it look like for Christians to actually live as if Jesus meant what he said? We must refuse to believe the lie that we can attain security through more stuff. And so we have a theological faith in God, but in actuality, we serve functional deities which are idols. What are we actually trusting in? What are we actually placing our faith in? And the citizens of Babylon will place their faith in their form of government. They'll place their faith in their political leaders. They'll place their faith in military might. They'll place their faith in an economy, all the while claiming to have faith in a higher power. It's not atheist that rule the world during the end of days. It's people that have a form of godliness, but are denying its power. It will be a counterfeit Christianity that is the most prominent religion during the end of days. And we're all susceptible. Here is the uncomfortable truth. It's not that the false prophet is going to present a new gospel during the end of days. It's that we have already embraced a false gospel and the false prophet is simply going to exploit it. We must refuse to allow our identity be, to be connected to, to anything other than our faith in Christ. Babylon is full of storage facilities that contain its citizen stuff. One of the fastest growing industries in North America are storage facilities. We should never align with an empire that will ultimately fall. There is only one kingdom that will never be shaken, and, there is, and that is where our citizenship must unapologetically be. That is where we find our sense of security. That is where we find our ultimate identity. Our allegiance to this king, this king of this heavenly kingdom will always put us at odds with earthly powers. We have seen this throughout the book of Revelation as God's people become the enemy of the state. God's people are seen as a danger to society and they will be attacked and slaughtered as wave after wave of tribulation washes over the world. There will be corresponding waves of persecution that wash over the church. 
The people will blame God for their misery and unleash a demonic rage on his people. The people of the lamb will be defeated by the dragon, but it's a temporary victory. We see this in the temporary nature of the dragon's victory. We see the temporary nature of the dragon's victory in the final parts of the book of Revelation. Now let's read chapter 18 together. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury sees the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has come, has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. 
The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, all of who have, all of who have been slaughtered on the earth. The chapter goes into great detail in describing the complete and total and permanent destruction of Babylon the Great. We're told in chapter 18 that in chapter 17 that Babylon is the mother of prostitutes, that this capital city of the Antichrist is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And we're told in chapter 18 that this city is a dwelling for demons and impure spirits, the mother of other cities with the same values, with the same culture, these worldly values that dominate the capital city of the Antichrist, but it is also replicated in other cities around the world. These cities that are dwelling places for demons, cities that become strongholds for Satan. There is a correlation bet between population and demonic activity. Amsterdam is Babylon. London is Babylon. Toronto is Babylon. New York is Babylon. New Orleans is Babylon. Houston is Babylon. Winnipeg is Babylon. And it's not that Christian people avoid cities because there is this stronghold of Satan. It's that we are aware that the demonic influence is especially present, present in areas of higher population. It's easy to pick on cities like Amsterdam, or it's easy to single out a city like Las Vegas, which is known as Sin City. But every city is a sin city. And there'll be this final and greatest manifestation of this during the end of days. But the principle is true now. Kingdom people are called to infiltrate the strongholds of the enemy and provide an alternative to the extravagance, an alternative to the tactics of intimidation, an alternative to the values of Babylon. We are to provide a counter-cultural lifestyle to the citizens of Babylon, radically counter-cultural, living examples of another reality, children of light that expose the darkness and illuminate the lies. But this comes with a warning. When you go behind enemy lines and when you shine a light into the darkness, you become a target of the enemy. And this is nothing new. This is what's happened throughout to God's people throughout history. You see this repeatedly mentioned in the New Testament where the apostles are preparing God's people for the inevitable opposition. That when we go against the grain, 
of secular culture, we're going to get splinters. When we walk against the current of culture, we're going to be set apart. We're going to be different. And so when we think about our cities, not as places to be avoided, but as strongholds to be infiltrated, and Christians, kingdom people, become soldiers of light behind enemy lines to expose the mirage, to expose the lie as people of truth. But our message loses all credibility when we embrace the same values of Babylon. When we embrace the values of Babylon, we lose all credibility. When our lifestyles look the same as the citizens of Babylon, when, our, when it's impossible to distinguish the people of God from the people of the world, God has called us out of the culture, not to escape it, but to redeem it. It's easy to pick on Christian groups that have removed themselves from the world. In the Middle Ages, this was the monastic movement where monasteries were built, where monks and nuns would flee the strongholds of the enemy. And they would flee to the desert. They would flee to the wilderness. And contemporary expressions of that are found in the Amish communities. And in Canada, it would be the Hutterite colonies. And we look at them and we judge them. We have the arrogance to judge them for removing themselves from the world. But if they have erred to that side, we have erred to the other. And which one is worse? The longer I go, the less sure I am that they're that far off base. We're called to infiltrate the strongholds and to be living proof in the reality of a heavenly kingdom, children of light that expose, that expose the lies. There's one word that keeps coming up in chapter 18, it's luxury. Luxury is one of the primary qualities of the spirit of Babylon. Luxury is going well beyond our physical needs. Verse three says excessive luxuries. The new English translation, the net version, translates this as sensual behavior. And that word can either refer to luxury or sensuality. And in the context of Revelation 18, the stress is on gratification of the senses by sexual immorality, so that the meaning was emphasized as sensual behavior. And the reality is that all of us have been so immersed in sensuality that we've become desensitized to sexual immorality. We've become desensitized to sinful sensuality. We've become desensitized to luxury, to extravagance. We have normalized extravagance and we have normalized immorality. 
we become so desensitized that things that previously would have shocked us now no longer bother us. Perversion has been normalized. Again, it's not, it's not religious leaders during the end of days presenting a radically different message. It's religious, religious leaders during the end of days that are products of our religion. We have produced the leaders that are perpetuating the idolatry. We have created entire systems that celebrate the very things that the Bible condemns. They celebrate extravagance, and they see as a blessing the very things that the Bible warns us against. It is very difficult, Jesus said, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is extremely hard for the wealthy to be saved. That's what he said. And yet, we perform our hermeneutical gymnastics, and we somehow twist the Bible to support our carnal appetites. And what we've done is we have cloaked the values of Babylon in Christianity. Perversion has been normalized. There's a pandemic of pornography in the church. So it's not that the great harlot is going to seduce people during a certain, a certain, um, apocalyptic moment. The harlot is already seducing people. And there's a pandemic of pornography in the church. And we need the prophets to call out the immorality, to call out those that have embraced a, they, they have responded to the siren's call of sensuality. And many people that are confessional Christians are frequent customers in the brothels of Babylon. Money, power, pleasure, lust, the treasures and the pleasures of Babylon. And it's a lie. The examples are everywhere. People think that in achieving more, people think that if we attain some level of success, that it will bring some measure of peace, but it is a lie. That if we have more money, we will somehow have more satisfaction, more pleasure, will bring more peace. But it's never enough. Our sinful nature has a voracious appetite that can never be fully satisfied, that can, ne that can never be permanently appeased. Some spend their entire lives trying to fill the emptiness only to end up empty. Power. That's what motivated the religious leaders that conspired to crucify Christ. Money, that's what motivated Judas to stab Jesus in the back to sell him out. Some people ask, where is America in the book of Revelation? And I would offer to you that she is here in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Where is America in the apocalypse? She is here in Babylon. Regardless of what the politicians preach, people around the world love America, not for her morality, but because of her money. They love the American economy. They love the American dollar more than democracy. They are infatuated with American culture more than American ideals. The tragedy is that others in the world see America as a Christian nation. And so everything they observe coming from America is also coming from Christianity. 
And that is a tragedy. America is Babylon. Canada is Babylon. There are no national exceptions to this biblical truth. Every nation, every culture, every society will be seduced by the spirit of Babylon. This includes America. This includes Canada. This includes the nation of Israel. There are no geographic exceptions. And now that we know that, we should be able to prepare ourselves to preempt the seduction by living simply. Now, this isn't groundbreaking, but it is revolutionary to live a simple, holy life is the calling of every Christian. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As foreigners here in reverent fear. The one word definition of holy is different. To be radically different from people that have been seduced, captivated, to repent of our indulgence, to repent of our extravagance to repent of our cruise ship Christianity, to repent of our sensuality, to repent of our lust, to repent of becoming desensitized to sexual sins, to live simple, holy lives. We are called to be a colony of heaven on earth. We are called to be temporary residents. May we live like this world isn't our ultimate home. May we live like our security and our identity are not associated with our stuff. May we walk out of our permanent dwellings <coughs> and pitch a spiritual tent, carrying only a backpack because we are ultimately temporary residents, pilgrims. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and how it can shock us for our sanctification, how it can offend us. And that offense is so necessary for our growth in godliness. So help us to embrace the scalpel that seeks to remove things from our life that are killing us. Lord, we repent of our indulgence. We repent of our extravagance. Help us, Lord, to live simply that we might give radically. Help us, Lord, to freely surrender our idols so that we will not be crushed by the weight of them. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.